Good morning. Take your Bible and uh, turn with me to uh, Genesis chapter 10. As you turn there, let me ask you, who's your one? You don't have to answer out loud at once. Um, But if you don't know what that question is about, uh, it's a question that we want every member of Rocky Point Baptist Church to be able to answer. Who's your one? Who's one person that you will commit to praying for? Who needs to know Jesus and hear the gospel and believe it and be saved? Who is one person that you can commit to looking for opportunities to share the gospel, the power of God unto salvation. Who's one person you can look for opportunities to share the gospel with? Um, if uh, you weren't here last week, um, we have these uh, bookmarks and prayer guides, and there's a few available in the foyer on your way out. And uh, on that bookmark, you identify your one, the one person you've committed to, to pray for, to share the gospel with, um, so that you can have that as a reminder on your dashboard. Don't look at it while you're driving, but uh, on your dashboard, on your mirror, um, and then there's a bookmark you can put in your Bible to help you pray for them, and, and uh, the prayer guide. Um, have, have you found that helpful this week uh, as you used it? Uh, man, I found it so helpful um, in just uh, not only giving me words to say, but helping uh, my heart get aligned with what God's heart is for this person that I'm praying for. And so um, if you need one of those, they're available in the lobby, and it just walks through Scripture and gives you the opportunity to take Scripture and pray it over your one. So who's your one is, uh, as I mentioned last week, it's the first step that we as a church are taking to be more intentional about our mission as a church, the mission that Jesus has given us, the timeless mission of the church, the Great Commission, and the way that we are articulating that for our church is that we exist to be and make disciples of Jesus Christ in Erath County and around the world by the power of the Holy Spirit to the glory of God the Father. And uh, I'd encourage you, uh, if you didn't have a chance to be here with us last week, uh, go back and listen to last Sunday's sermon um, because uh, at the risk of sounding self-promoting, I'm not just saying, hey, go listen to my preaching. I'm saying, This was an important message for our church and the future of our church, and it's it's rooted in Jesus' great commission that he gave us. And so I would encourage you, if you didn't get a chance to listen to that, go listen to that um, as we seek as a church to be more faithful to our mission. So one of the phrases in that mission statement, that all of them are important, but one of them that I want to highlight for you is that, that phrase, around the world. We talked about last week why that is important. We want to make disciples here in Erath County. God has placed us here for that purpose. But we also want to be about making disciples around the world. Because our God is not just the Lord of Erath County. Our God is not just the Lord of America. Our God is the Lord of all the nations of the earth. And that brings us to our text today. Genesis chapter 10 and the beginning of chapter 11. In Genesis chapter 10 and chapter 11, what we see are the nations 
of the world. The people that spread across the face of the earth that came from the sons of Noah. The three sons of Noah. And what we need to recognize as we look at this passage and as we consider our mission as a church is from the beginning, God has had a mission. The Great Commission is not a new mission. It didn't start when Jesus said those words before he ascended to heaven. The Great Commission is the mission of God from before the foundation of the world. From the beginning, God has had a mission to fill the earth with his glory by filling the earth with people who know him and delight in him and reflect him. That has been God's mission from the beginning. And so the question is, are we working for that mission or against that mission? That was the question that the nations in Genesis 10 and 11 had to answer. Are we going to work for God's mission or are we going to work against God's mission? That's the question that the first audience of Genesis, Israel in the wilderness, that's the question they had to answer. Are we going to work for God's mission or against God's mission? And it's the question that we need to ask ourselves today as we recognize that God has a mission to fill the earth with his glory by filling the earth with people who know him and delight him and reflect him. The question for us is, are we working for that mission or against it? Uh, we've seen this mission throughout the book of Genesis from the beginning. Uh, God created all things. He created the universe, the heavens and the earth, and the pinnacle of his creation was mankind, who he made in his image to reflect him. And he told them to fill the earth. He wanted the earth to be full of reflectors of himself. But then Genesis 3 tells us that man decided, instead of living for God's mission and living out God's purpose, that man decided to live for his own glory. And so as man multiplied, sinful man multiplied across the face of the earth, what was filling the earth wasn't God's glory, but instead the text tells us that the earth was filled with violence. It was filled with wickedness, evil. So, as we saw in Genesis 6 and 7 and 8, God destroyed all of humanity with a flood, except for one family, Noah and his three sons. But after the flood, God was still determined to fill the earth with his glory by filling the earth with people who know him and delight in him and reflect him. Humanity restarted after the flood, but the mission was still the same. Look with me at verse 1 of chapter 9 of Genesis. After Noah and his sons come out of the ark, come to this, uh, this earth, uh, it's a new day, and God reiterates the mission that he had from the beginning for humans. God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. This is God's plan for humans from the beginning. It's God's plan for humans here, Noah's sons, and the families that would come from them. And what we're going to see in Genesis 10 is humanity doing exactly what God wanted them to do. They're going to, we're going to see them filling the earth. So we're going to read uh, chapter 10 together. And chapter 10, it's a long passage. It's a genealogy. 
And uh, I want us to, uh, I want to highlight a few things to you and bring some things to your attention uh, so that you can pay attention to these as we walk through, so you can see where the points of significance are as we walk through this genealogy. Um, first of all, I would draw your attention to the shape of this genealogy. A few weeks ago, we saw a genealogy in chapter 5, and it was, it was the shape of a line. It was one man to another. It was uh, Adam's son, Seth, to Noah. And it was just father, son, father, son, father, son, father, son, straight line from one man to another. But we see something different in Genesis 10. It's not a line, it's a tree. And that shape is significant because what we're looking at is not a line from one man to another, but the spread of people across the earth. So we see a family tree. Another thing uh, that will be important to pay attention to, in the first verse of Genesis 10 and the last verse of Genesis 10, there are summary statements. And there, uh, these two statements are very similar, and those are important because they tell you what's going on in the middle of this chapter. So pay attention to those. The third thing I would tell you to pay attention to as we read is that this genealogy is made up of three sections, and each of the sections ends with the same basic refrain. There's this repeated refrain at the end of all three sections, and that's going to be important to understanding what's going on here in Genesis 10. And then lastly, um, one of the things that we uh, want to look at at a genealogy uh, to find points of emphasis and significance is look for where, the, where there are breaks from the pattern, where we're going along and there's a pattern, and all of a sudden something kind of breaks the pattern. Those things should have our attention. So let's read together Genesis chapter 10. These are the generations of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Sons were born to them after the flood. The sons of Japheth, Gomer, Magog, Madai, Javan, Tubal, Meshech, and Tyrus. The sons of Gomer, Ashkenaz, Riphthoth, and Togrimah. The sons of Javan, Elisha, Tarshish, Katim, and Dodanim. From these, the coastland peoples spread in their lands, each with his own language, by their clans and their nations. The sons of Ham, Cush, Egypt, Put, and Canaan. The sons of Cush, Seba, Havilah, Sabta, Ra'ama, and Sabdaka. The sons of Ra'ama, Sheba, and Dedan. Cush fathered Nimrod. He was the first on earth to be a mighty man. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. The beginning of his kingdom was Babel, Erek, Akkad, and Kalna in the land of Shinar. From that land, he went into Assyria and built Nineveh, Rehoboth-ir, Kalah, and Rezin between Nineveh and Kalah. That is the great city. Egypt fathered Ludim, Anamim, Lahabim, Naphtuhim, Pathrusim, Kasluhim, from whom the Philistines came. And Kaphtarim. Canaan fathered Sidon, his firstborn, and Heth, and the Jebusites, the Amorites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, the Archites, the Sinites, the Arvidites, the Zemorites, and the Hamathites. Afterward, the clans of the Canaanites dispersed, and the territory of the Canaanites extended from Sidon in the direction of Gerar as far as Gaza, and in the direction of Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, and Zeboim as far as Lasha. These are the sons of Ham by their clans, their languages, their lands, and their nations. To Shem also, the father of all the children of Aber, the elder brother of Japheth, children were born. The sons of Shem, Elam, Asher, 
Arpachshad, Lud, and Aram. The sons of Aram, Uz, Hul, Gether, and Mash. Arpachshad fathered Shelah, and Shelah fathered Eber. To Eber were born two sons. The name of one was Peleg, for in his days the earth was divided, and his brother's name was Joktan. Joktan fathered Amadad, Sheleth, Hazarmavath, Jera, Hadaram, Uzal, Dikloth, Obal, Abimaal, Sheba, Ophir, Havilah, and Jobab. All these were the sons of Joktan. The territory in which they lived extended from Mesha in the direction of Sephar to the hill country of the east. These are the sons of Shem by their clans, their languages, their lands, and their nations. These are the clans of the sons of Noah according to their genealogies in their nations. And from these, the nations spread abroad on the earth after the flood. You know, Alyssa, I don't know why we need a baby name book when we could just pick one of these 70 fantastic boy names. My favorite is Jobab, because it's a little bit Hebrew and a little bit country. <laughs> Jobab. So we'll, we'll pray about it. So did you notice those summary statements at the beginning of chapter 10 and the end of chapter 10? They tell you what's going on in the middle. These are the nations that spread abroad on the earth after the flood. The nations that spread across the earth from Noah's three sons. You probably, if you're familiar with the history of Israel through the Old Testament, there were probably some names that stood out to you. Uh, Familiar names, especially from Ham came a lot of the enemies of God's people. Names like Egypt, Babel, which is also known as Babylon in Scripture. Assyria, the Philistines, the Canaanites, and all of the ites that uh, ended up filling the promised land. Did you also notice that repeated refrain at the end of the three sections? Look, Look back at the end of verse 31. By their clans, their languages, their lands, and their nations. Three times that was repeated. The first one was a little out of order, but all three times they it was repeated. And this refrain emphasizes the point. The point of this genealogy, the reason why it's in the Bible, is to illustrate the spread of the nations across the earth. But this refrain also raises a question. How did three sons, who all spoke the same language, turn into 70 nations with many languages over just the course of a few generations? Notice also a couple of the places where where that pattern broke. Uh, One of the times the pattern broke was where Moses told us about this guy Nimrod. He spent a lot of time focused on Nimrod and this kingdom that he built. And that kingdom included a place called Babel in a place called Shinar. Why does he break the pattern to emphasize this for us? And then there was another place where the pattern broke. Uh, Did you notice the name Peleg? Uh, We're told in the text that in Peleg's days... uh, it was in his days that the earth was divided. Well, what's going on there? What, what is he talking about? Why, are, why is he drawing this to our attention? Well, chapter 10 raises a number of questions. And all of these questions that are raised by chapter 10 are answered in chapter 11. And in the first nine verses. Because in chapter 11, Moses, as he's writing Genesis, he 
rewinds the clock. I'm sure some of us wish that we had been rewinding the clock last night and we could have gotten an extra hour of sleep instead of having less of an hour of sleep. But Moses rewinds the clock. He backs up in time and he tells us exactly how the nations spread across the earth. As we saw in Genesis 1 and Genesis 9, it's always been God's plan. It's always been his intention that the nations would spread across the earth. But what we learn in chapter 11 is that they didn't do so willingly. So look with me at the first two verses of chapter 11. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. So before all of these nations spread across the earth in all of their languages, like we saw in that repeated refrain, all of the people of the earth had one language. And they migrated for a while, just as God had intended for them to do, but they only migrated until they came to this place of Shinar. And there, they decided to settle down. Well, we see more of humanity's plan to settle down in verses 3 and 4. Let's keep reading. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. So God had a plan, but humanity makes a different plan. They make a plan to build a city, to make bricks, build it into a city, build this tall tower that would extend all the way into the heavens. For what purpose? Well, first of all, to make a name for themselves. Rather than filling the earth with God's glory, they decided to settle down and build something for their glory. But also, they say in the text, to prevent themselves from being dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Humanity deliberately rejected God's plan for them. They deliberately went against God's mission of wanting to fill the earth. And like Adam and Eve... The humans here at the Tower of Babel decided to be independent from God. They decided to reject God's will, and they decided to pursue their own glory. And this is a tale as old as time, isn't it? This is what we see in humanity and in society even up until today, isn't it? As humanity progresses, humanity increasingly becomes independent from God, less and less dependent upon God. As humanity progresses more and more, we in society reject God's will. And rather than pursuing God's glory, we pursue our own glory. Humans love to pursue significance in what we build for ourselves, whether that's a literal physical building or building a, a, a great company or organization, or building a resume, or building a legacy. Humanity loves to pursue significance in what we build for ourselves to make our name great. 
The turning point of this story comes in the next verse, in verse 5. Look at that with me. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. So Yahweh comes down to survey the construction. And uh, even though this tower was supposed to be as high as heavens, ironically, the Lord had to come down to see it. It didn't quite make it all the way up to heaven for him to be able to see it. So he had to come down. But even though this tower wasn't as grand as they might have hoped, it was still a massive problem. Look at how the Lord assesses the situation in verse 6. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do now will be impossible for them. God looked at humanity, independent from him, rejecting his will, pursuing their own glory, and he saw they were dead set on their plan. If he did not intervene, they would only continue in their pathway of sin. If the mission was going to continue, if God was going to fulfill his purpose to fill the earth as he had always intended, God had to come down. And that's exactly what he expresses his intention to do in verse 7. Look at that. The Lord says, come, let us go down. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So God determines to go and confuse the language of the people, to interrupt humanity's plan. And by confusing their language, uh, by interrupting their communication, by by intervening and, and keeping them from continuing on in their project, he would force them to divide. In, as he divided their languages, he would force them to divide and to disperse across the face of the world. And verse 8 shows us that this action of God had exactly the effect that he intended. So look at verse 8. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. So God looks at sinful humanity, he decides to come down, he comes and as an act of judgment, he comes and he confuses their language. As an act of judgment, he ruins their arrogant plan, and as an act of judgment, he comes down and he forces humanity to scatter, to disperse across the face of the world. Verse 9 offers a final summary of this event that we've seen. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. That word Babel sounds like the Hebrew word for confuse. So Babel would always be a monument to God's judgment. His judgment against humanity, rejecting him and rejecting his will and living for their glory. But it would also be a monument to the fact that God's plan will not fail. His purposes 
always will be fulfilled. Nothing can stop God's mission. I mentioned before that Babel in Scripture is also known as Babylon. And the way that Babylon begins here in Genesis 11 is the way it continues all the way to Revelation. Throughout Scripture, Babylon is a symbol. It's the epitome of humans independent from God, rejecting God's will, and living for their own glory. Talk more about that later. But to sum it up, from the beginning, God has had a mission to fill the earth with his glory by filling the earth with people who know him, delight in him, and reflect him. So God commanded the sons of Noah to fill the earth, but the people that came from them rejected God's plan. They settled together for their own glory. So God came down. He brought judgment. He divided their languages and he dispersed them across the face of the world. So by the time we get to Genesis 11:9, as God has always intended, humans have finally spread across the earth. But of course, uh, filling the earth with humans does not necessarily mean that the earth is being filled with God's glory, right? We saw that before the flood. The same thing happened. Sinful humanity filled the earth, but the earth wasn't filled with God's glory. It was filled with wickedness and violence. So what's going on? How is this time going to be any different? Well, it's because Genesis 10 and 11 are not the total fulfillment of God's mission. They're just the setup of God's mission, of what he's going to do next. Because God chose to carry out his mission, to fill the earth with his glory by blessing these nations that spread across the face of the earth, by blessing them through his chosen people. Flip over with me to Genesis chapter 12. So the passage that we've been looking at, Genesis 10 and 11, it would have meant a lot to the original audience of Genesis, Israel in the wilderness. It would have meant a lot to them for a number of reasons. Like we mentioned before, you see the origin of a lot of their enemies, Egypt and Assyria and all these, the Canaanites. Um, But there's another reason why this passage would have been really significant. It's because Genesis 10 and 11 remind Israel of their purpose. And we see that purpose stated in Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3. Read these with me. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great. So that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God told Abraham not to stay where he was like the people of Babel wanted to do. But to go. He told Abraham 
not to make a name for himself like the people of Babel did, that he, instead he promised that he would make a great name for Abraham. And God blessed Abram so that through his offspring, blessing would spread to all of the nations of the earth who were dispersed across the face of the earth. So this passage would have reminded Israel that this is your purpose. These nations are your target of blessing. God intends for you, Israel, to be a blessing to these nations, to bless them as you know God, as you are in relationship with him, delighting in him, reflecting him, living according to his law, you are to be a blessing to the other nations and invite them to Yahweh, point them to Yahweh. There's another reason that Israel, the original audience of this book, needed to hear this passage. This story of what happened at Babel also would have served as a warning to Israel. Because God did have a plan. He had a plan to fill the earth with his glory, and Israel had a role in this plan. And their role was to be a blessing to the nations. To bless the nations, and for that it required that they would know God and delight in God and submit to his will. But the warning for Israel was that if they chose to go the way of Babel, their fate would be the same as Babel. If they chose, like at Babel, to be independent from God, to reject his will, to live for their own glory, they would receive the judgment of God. And the judgment of God would come exactly like it did at Babel through scattering them across the earth. God gives this warning to them over and over and over in Scripture in places such as Deuteronomy 4, 25 to 27. He tells them in that passage, when you, when you father children and children's children and have grown old in the land, if you act corruptly by making a carved image in the form of anything and by doing what is evil in the sight of the Lord your God so as to provoke him to anger, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that you will soon utterly perish from the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. You will not live long in it, but will be utterly destroyed. And catch this. And the Lord will scatter you among the peoples and you will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord will drive you. Of course, we know from Scripture that sadly, Israel did not heed this warning. No, they actually ended up doing exactly what God told them not to do. They did exactly what he warned them not to do. They chose to be independent from God, to run after other gods. They chose to reject his will and take matters into their own hands. They chose to reject his glory and live for their own glory. And just as they did exactly what God told them not to do, God did exactly what he told them he would do. He scattered them. Most notably, he sent them to exile in Babylon. They acted like Babylon, and so their fate was the same as Babylon, and he sent them to Babylon. So as much as this was a cautionary tale to Israel, a warning to them, uh, we need to recognize we all need this warning. 
This is us. We all need this warning. We have all gone against God's plan for humanity. We all have some babble in our hearts. Now, maybe you aren't building a city or a tower, but maybe you are living to make a name for yourself. Maybe you're rejecting God's plan and living for your own plan. You know, it's interesting. The sin of Babel wasn't some brutal violence or sexual immorality or gross injustice. It was humans looking at God's will and thinking, nah, our plan's better. It was humans turning away from living for God's glory and saying, I'm going to live for myself instead. It's what we in it's what the world would look like, look at in our day and say that's normal. That's not rampant evil or wickedness or unrighteousness. That's just what humans do. It's easy to lose sight of the reality that the choice before us is the choice between living for God's glory or living for our own God's for excuse me for our own glory. The choice between living for God's mission and plan for humanity or living against God's plan for humanity. And like I said, it's especially easy to miss in our culture because of how we label these things. We don't talk about living for God's glory or against God's glory. Instead of calling it living for our own glory, we just call it the American dream. We don't think of it as rebellion against our creator. We think of it as Normal life, typical human behavior. And living for God's glory isn't seen as normal. It's seen, seen as maybe hyper-religious or extra-spiritual. But what we need to recognize is that when I am living for my own glory, I'm not just choosing one choice among many valid choices. I am setting myself up as an enemy of God. I am actively opposing the God of the universe. Scripture tells us multiple times that God opposes the proud. The one who wants to build a great legacy for his namesake, for his glory, and reject God's plan and God's will. God opposes the proud. When the Babylonians chose to live for self, they were setting themselves up against God, and God opposed them, and he scattered them. When the Israelites chose to run after other gods, they were opposing God, and he scattered them. He sent them into exile, and we need to realize that if we are living for ourselves, we are living a life opposed to God. And what scripture makes very clear is that all of us have done this in some way. There are no exceptions. There's no one without a little babble in their hearts. David writes in Psalm 14, 2 and 3, The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. 
There is none who does good, not even one. We all have Babel in our hearts. And like the people of Babel, we're never going to change on their own. That's what God saw when he came down and looked at them. They were never going to change on their own. And likewise, there is nothing that we can do on our own to change our condition. Like at Babel, God must intervene. And the good news of the gospel is that God has intervened. But the good news is that while God came down to judge at Babel, in Christ, God came down to save. Because in Christ, what we have is the ultimate offspring of Abraham. The one that God chose to bless all of the nations of the earth through. He is the one through whom every person on earth can be blessed. Every nation of the earth can receive the blessing of God through Jesus. Because Jesus came and he died and he rose again. And because he did, he can forgive us for our independence from God. For our rejecting his will. For our living for our own glory. He can forgive us. He can redeem us and free us from captivity to our own glory. And he can restore us to God. Restore us to our purpose. Bring us into a relationship where we can, as God always wanted... We can know him and delight in him and reflect him. Jesus came to fulfill the mission that God had always had from the beginning. He has made a way for people from all nations to know God and delight in God and reflect God and for the earth to be filled with God's glory through him. And we see this continue to unfold in Acts chapter 2 at the day of Pentecost. When the Holy Spirit came, when the Holy Spirit came on Jesus' disciples and filled them, what we have is the reversal of Babel. Because there at Pentecost on that day when the Holy Spirit came on Jesus' disciples, there were, people, there were people there from every nation on the earth, every nation under heaven, and they all spoke different languages. But when the disciples received the Holy Spirit, out of their mouths came the gospel. Out of their mouths they began speaking the mighty works of God. But even though there were people from every nation under heaven with all sorts of different languages hearing them speak, there was not confusion of languages. Instead, the Holy Spirit worked a reversing miracle. And every person with all of their individual languages from every nation heard the gospel in their own language. Because God was fulfilling his mission to fill the earth with his glory by filling the earth with people from every nation who know him and delight in him and reflect him. And he was fulfilling it through Christ. And today, the mission continues. This is what we saw last week in the Great Commission in Matthew 28. What's amazing 
for us who are disciples of Jesus is that the mission is continuing and Jesus has chosen to continue to carry out this timeless, eternal mission of God through us, through his authorized, spirit-filled ambassadors, through his followers, his disciples, who he has instructed, as we saw in Matthew 28, to go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. God is still on mission to fill the earth with his glory by filling the earth with people who know him and delight in him and reflect him. And he invites us into it. Today, God is fulfilling his mission through us. And as I said from the beginning, the question is, are we working for it or are we working against it? If you are living for yourself, this passage should be a warning to you that you're working against God. God opposes the proud. But as we saw, there is good news for you. God came down to redeem you. Jesus received the judgment of God in your place so that you could be forgiven and be restored to a relationship with God. So if that's you today, let go of your sin. Let go of living independent from God. Let go of rejecting his will for your own. Let go of living for your own glory and receive the free gift of grace that Jesus offers through his death and resurrection. He died for you so that you could be forgiven and you could know God and you can have it for free. For those who have received God's grace, for those who have been brought into the family of God, made disciples of Jesus, let me ask us this question. Are our hearts marked by God's love for the nations? Are our hearts identified? Do we share God's heart for all people of the world? Are we brokenhearted over the nations that still have not heard the gospel? Are we passionate about God's timeless mission to fill the earth with his glory? You know, at Babel, we saw that the people rejected God's will to spread for his glory, and they decided instead to settle down. God's plan was uncomfortable. It involved giving up things. It involved risks. But they chose the more comfortable route. You know, last week, we laid out our mission as a church. We laid out a vision for the future. And one of the things that we saw is that this vision of the future is only going to become a reality if every one of us asks the question, how can I personally reorient my life around God's timeless mission and how can I reorient my life around my identity as being one sent 
by Jesus? We have to ask that question. We have to answer that question. But here's what I can guarantee. Whatever the answer is to that question, it's not going to be comfortable. The answer to that question for each one of us will very likely involve taking some risks. And so we need to recognize that if we are going to be on mission with God, one of the greatest obstacles we are going to have, have to overcome is our own desire to stay comfortable. Our own desire to stay safe. Our own desire to settle down and not make changes. Uh, maybe even this week, as we've been talking and asking this question, who's your one, uh, you're tempted to think that, that you're an exception to this uh, initiative that we're in. Um, <coughs> I, I've had a number of conversations this week uh, with people who are like, oh, you know, who, who struggle with not having people in their lives who could be their one, who, um, who, who are lost, who uh, they're in a relationship with already. And so I would ask you, if that's, if that's you, consider if maybe you've settled down in your own comfort. And maybe you're just waiting for God to bring someone to you when Jesus has called us to go, to leave our comfort, to leave our security, and to reorient our calendar, our routines, our relationships, our hobbies, around the mission that Jesus has given us in order to actively pursue people with the gospel and to invite them into the family of God, to be part of God's plan to fill the earth with his glory. May we be passionate about God's mission to fill the earth with his glory. And may we reject temptation to go against his mission or to stay on the sidelines. God is on mission to fill the earth with his glory by filling the earth with people who know him and delight in him and reflect him. And throughout this age, Babylon is still there. Babylon will always be Babylon. And as Jesus' disciples, we will always have to resist the temptation to go the way of Babylon, to go the way of the world. But we must remember that in the end, even though the plan of Babylon is to build a tower as high as the heavens, what the Bible tells us is that in the end, it's the sin of Babylon that reaches to heaven. In Revelation 18, verses 4 and 5, we read, then I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. Talking of Babylon here, for her sins are heaped high as heaven. And God has remembered her iniquities. In the end, Babylon, the great city, the pinnacle of humanity's attempt to make a name for itself, to build a legacy, to be great, will be thrown down and judged. But in the end, God will, will, once and for all, 
accomplish the mission that he has had from the beginning. He will accomplish his mission of filling the earth with his glory. We read it in Revelation 7 earlier. There will come a day when a great multitude that no one can number is standing before the throne. People from every nation, every language, every tribe, standing clothed in white, washed by the blood of the Lamb. In that day, God's people, God's holy city, will not be a man-made work of rebellion trying to reach up into heaven. Instead, what we see is that God's people, God's city, will be a God-made work of grace that he will bring down to a new earth. Revelation 21, 1 and 2. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. In Christ, God will accomplish his mission to fill the earth with his glory, by filling the earth with people from every nation who know him and delight in him and reflect him. So may we as a church be actively advancing this mission so that more and more we can see disciples made of all nations and all languages. God is worthy of the praise of every person from every nation and every language. So may we commit ourselves to seeing God's glory fill the earth as people in the earth come to know him and delight in him and reflect him. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that our hearts would burn with passion to see your glory fill the earth. I pray that our hearts would burn with passion to see the nations come to know you. Lord, you have a plan that you've had from the beginning to fill the earth with your glory by filling it with people who know you and delight in you and reflect you. And Lord, I pray that it would cause us to burn with passion as we think about that day when the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. When people from every nation and every language and every tribe and every generation of the earth, Lord, will stand before the throne and declare worthy is the lamb who was slain. Lord, I pray that that passion for your glory would so shape our hearts and our lives that, Lord, we would reorient our lives around your mission that you have had from all of eternity. Lord, I pray that as those who have received your grace, we would delight in extending your grace to others. We love you and praise you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.